Yeah, I want to repeat what Matt just said, that we're so grateful for you to come out this morning. It, it represents your desire to grow in your marriages, so that thrills us. Benjamin Franklin once said, the people should have their eyes wide open before marriage and half shut afterwards. Um, there is a truth in, in both halves of the saying. But this morning we want to talk about the eyes wide open part. What we're going to look at is what should we be looking for in our marriages? What is God's purpose for our marriage? Are our expectations of our marriage based on the word of God? Or have they started to be defined by culture? The Apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthian church, a church with a lot of problems, as we know, a lot of problems, needed a lot of adjustment where ungodliness and sin abounded in that church. But he starts his letter in verse 4 with this statement. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Here was a church that needed a lot of adjustment. But Paul doesn't just start his letter talking about those areas that required change. No, he starts with thanking God for them. And today, as we talk about marriage and look at the meaning of marriage and look at some application areas, you may already be thinking your marriage requires a lot of adjustment and perhaps even more so at the end of the message. But I want to encourage us all this morning to take Paul's example and thank God for God's work of grace in your spouse and in your marriage. The fact that you're coming out this morning is an evidence of God's grace. Evidence of God's grace at work in your lives. So I've entitled this, today's talk, Gospel-Shaped Marriages. And they will be grace-filled marriages. So first of all, to be grace-filled marriages, we're, we need to be grateful to God for our marriage. If we're going to have gospel-shaped marriages, we must be grateful to God for our spouse and for our marriage. You know, I thank God every day for June, particularly that God gives her grace to live with me. It's, it's, but I, every day we need to give thanks for our spouse. I was thinking about this morning, I thought, what would, what's your first thought this morning about your spouse? What would be your first thought this morning about your spouse? Is it, I hope as a result of this morning, they're going to change? I hope that they will change. I hope my spouse will change. Or is it when you first think about your spouse, I thank God for my spouse. I'm so grateful to God for marrying him or her. Grace-filled marriages will recognise God's sovereignty in our marriage. To recognise God's sovereignty in bringing you together and to look for evidences of grace in your spouse. You see, for me, I find it much easier to spot the blemish. I find it much easier to see the sins, which are very, 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 very few in June, than I see evidence of grace. I need to spot more the evidences of grace. It's easier to see her sin and miss what God is doing in her life. And one of the main challenges in married life is to take one another for granted and become complacent, particularly if you've been married. Now, I wouldn't expect that of Matt and Nicola right now. Not in the first week or so, two weeks, is it? Two weeks today, celebrating. Wow, two. Um, but for those of you, like Arthur and I have been married a few more years, 
it's so easy to take one another for granted. You almost know what your spouse is going to do in a given situation. You think, I know what he or she would do. It is said, familiarity breeds contempt. And we must be, be on guard against that. And as I said, become more aware of evidences of grace than policing one another's sin. You know, I'm not there. I mean, I, I, I'm there for June in two, two ways to, in, regarding her sin. I'm there probably to provoke her sin, sinful heart, because of my, my, the way, way I am, but also there to help her and vice versa. Dave Harvey says in When Sinners Say I Do, you know, that we are married, fallen creatures. And the greatest benefit of acknowledging our sinfulness is that it makes Christ and his work more precious to us. And thirdly, just in this section, to apply the gospel to our marriages. If we want gospel-shaped marriages, <coughs> excuse me, we need to apply the gospel to our marriages and receive God's grace. The gospel should be up front and centre in our marriages. Gary and Betsy Ricucci says this, when we grasp the depth of God's love for us revealed in the gospel, when we rest in the joy of God's forgiveness towards us in the gospel, when we experience God's transforming, God's transforming in us through the gospel, and when we begin to emulate the pattern of humility and obedience we see in the gospel, what a wonderful difference this will make in our lives and our marriages. Nothing, nothing is more essential to a marriage and nothing brings more hope than applying the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Dave Harvey says in his book, the gospel is an endless fountain of God's grace in your marriage. To become a good theologian and to be able to look forward to lifelong thriving marriage, you must have a clear understanding of the gospel. Without it, you cannot see God, yourself or your marriage for what they truly are. The gospel is the fountain of a thriving marriage. We need to understand the gospel. We need to encourage one another in the gospel. We need to make the gospel functional in our marriages. And what do I mean by that? Well, when your spouse has done something to you, how should you respond? Do you respond just because you're a good kind of person? Oh, I'll forgive them. I'll forgive them. But applying the gospel means... You forgive because you've been forgiven. You welcome them back because you've been welcomed by God. It's an application of the gospel. And this morning, <clears throat> I wanted to see first the meaning of marriage and then to touch briefly on two aspects of how we receive each other in our marriages. So the meaning of marriage. <clears throat> I don't know whether it's wise having the coffee. <clears throat> uh, I want to turn to Ephesians Chapter 5, verse 22 to 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, 
that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, just reading recently that John MacArthur was speaking on Ephesians 5. Many of the congregation just walked out because what he was saying cuts right across the culture. This portion of scripture, when applied in our lives, cuts across our culture. And this is probably one of the most significant passages in all of scripture that gives us an understanding of what a godly marriage looks like. And as you read this, this passage, you might wonder, what is Paul saying here? Is he talking a truth about the church or is he talking truth about marriage? Well, the answer is he's speaking about both. He's not confused. It could seem a bit confusing. He's jumping in and out of church and marriage. When Paul outlines the role of husband and, husband and wife in marriage, he didn't look around. He, he didn't say, well, I'm going to talk about these roles and this is what these should like. Now, where can I find an example that works? Where can I look in the world and see something that will give me a good illustration? And so, yeah, Christ in the church. That would be a good one. That would be a good one. No, that's not what he was doing. He was using the lesser to reveal the greater. He was using marriage to reveal the greater, the greater truth about Christ and his church. And this morning I want us to concentrate on verses 31 to 33. There's so much in here and we don't have time this morning to go into it all. So let me explain what do I mean about the lesser to reveal the greater. Let's go to verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This statement, or this truth, is first found right back in creation in Genesis 2.24. In Genesis 2.24, we see the same statement. It was there in the very beginning. And Paul says this statement is of mystery, a profound mystery that he was now going to unfold and reveal to us. He's going to explain what this mystery is. This, this truth that was there right in the beginning of creation, he is now going to unfold. <coughs> Paul is now explains this mystery, a mystery hidden from creation, is referring to Christ and the church. And not until we see in the New Testament, not until the Jesus coming and God in, in, in incarnate into the world, dying on a cross. Acts 2, we've recently seen the commencement of the church. It's not until those two things happened that it could be fully explained. See, the statement in Genesis 2:24 could not be understood and explained until the coming of Jesus and the establishment of the church. So the greater relationship being the relationship of Christ to his bride, 
who is his bride, us, the church, his body, is revealed through the relationship between husband and wife, this being the essential meaning of marriage. So for us, this, the relationship between Christ and the church is much more than an illustration, much more than just finding something that kind of explains how we're to be. It's, it's, it gives us a biblical meaning of marriage. I think you've got it in your notes. I summarise what John Piper says about the meaning of marriage, pulling these things together. For one, God modelled marriage on the covenant love at the beginning of creation between Christ and the church. Genesis 2.24, it was there, beginning of creation. Although Christ wasn't here, the church wasn't established. Marriage, therefore, has always been a witness of the covenant love between Christ and the church. Therefore, the roles of husband and wife derive from the roles God designed for Christ and the church. Therefore, confusing or minimising their roles obscures the meaning of marriage as a drama of the covenant love between Christ and the church. Therefore, let every husband see to love and lead and nourish and protect like Christ, and let every wife love her husband and honour his Christ-like role, joining hands in Christ's exalting mission as God meant the church to be. The truth about marriage has always been there, but the mystery now unfolds through the union that we now come to understand of Christ and his church. The church is the bride of Christ, and our lives as Christians are hidden in Christ. And we are the body of Christ. We are one with Christ. And so just as this, this portion of scripture says the two should become one flesh, so in a sense we are one flesh with Christ. We're one flesh. We're hidden in him. We're joined to him. We're his body. We're his bride. And so understanding this, I believe, lifts the significance of our marriage to a higher plane. Because we can so get wrapped up in our marriage. Well, our marriage. Is it June and I? Yes. But more than that, it's God's marriage. And Paul, Paul says at, the, at, thir- at verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So our marriages, it's not about just us. It's not about us just working out things in, in our daily lives. But it's about God's eternal purposes being worked out in your marriage and through your marriage. And so now we're going to look briefly at these two exhortations. Not in detail this morning as we don't have time. It says in verse, let's just read that again. Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. For those of you who've been around a while, there's probably nothing new I'm going to say that you haven't heard before. But so often, don't we, we need reminding. As we come on Sunday morning, very often we can be listening to a truths that we've heard time and time again but we need to hear them time and time again because we live in a world that's broken and will try and rob us of those truths to be worked out in our lives so we need to hear it and so as we go through this material this morning evaluate where you're at but a big but don't evaluate your spouse 
but yourself. Don't start with, oh, that's good, Pete. She needs to do that. That's good, Pete. He needs to do that. Start with, that's good, if it is good. It starts with me. I need to do it. It's so easy in the routine tasks of the day to let our marriages drift. And that's why we are going to continually come back to these foundational truths. We haven't done family matters for a number of years. I can't remember how long it is now, three, four years. We need to continually come back to these foundational truths. And before we specifically look at these exhortations, I want to draw our attention to the fact that our marriages, as I've already said, and our families do not primarily belong to us, but they belong to God. Larry Christensen in his book writes, the family belongs to God. He created it. He determined determined its inner structure. He appointed for its purpose and goal. By divine permission, read that again, by divine permission, a man and a woman may cooperate with God's purposes and become part of it. But the home they establish remains his establishment. Psalm 127 verse 1 says, Unless the Lord builds his house, those who build it labour in vain. This is not our marriage. Sit here this morning. This is not your marriage. It's his marriage. It's not our home, but his home. It's not our children, but his children. It's not our family, but his family. And this might sound like pious rhetoric, but it works itself out in a thoroughly down-to-earth fashion. If Jesus is truly Lord in your family, it will influence everything from the way you decorate your home to the way you spend your summer vacation. So... We see here, our marriage is not primarily for us, but they were, they're here for the glory of God. So one of the exhortations Paul brings in verse 33. He says, In the light of the greater being the relationship between Christ and the church, he calls wives to respect her husband and husbands to love their wife. So we start with respect the husband. Sadly today, disrespect is the order of the day. We see it so often in every areas of life. We see it on our TVs, we, we see it in political discourse, we see it in adverts, we see the way people are dissed and dishonoured. And so often, even in marriage of a man and woman together in a covenant union for life, we see lack of respect. Families where husband and wife disrespect each other are likely to raise children who grow up disrespectful. The Bible says wisdom is known by her children. This culture of disrespect can so easily invade the church, and in particular our marriages, and it will affect, if we have children, our children. We have here a biblical command for wives to respect their husbands. This is, and I don't want to clarify this, this is not me as a husband. One of, one of, one of the challenging things of doing something like this is the challenge to my own heart, especially with June sitting at the front, which I would have rather have been in looking after the kids this morning. Um, it, it's a real challenge, because she knows me. But I'm not saying this to you. God is saying it to you. It is a biblical command. Douglas Wilson, in his book, Reforming Marriage, says, the glory of God is more important than domestic happiness. We're going to touch on this another week, a bit more of that. So, ladies, it's not about you and somebody meeting your felt needs. Ultimately, it's all about the glory of God. 
Douglas Wilson again, it's, it's in uh, Reforming Marriage. If we might paraphrase the words of the Catechism, the chief end of marriage is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God has designed your husband to need respect and to you to be the main source of that respect. You probably notice if you've been married a few years, he's different from you in many, many ways. He responds and reacts differently to situations. There's a tendency, not I don't want to say this is total, but there's a tendency to men to look at things more objectively, although very often I'm not looking at them objectively and June comes in and brings some object, objectivity to a situation. But because they tend to be more objective, as a woman you could interpret this as cold, unfeeling and even uncaring. He responds to respect more than love. It's interesting because I read a book some years ago on, on a, that was a, um, a secular book. And even the people there writing the book said, men respond to respect, women to love more. Now, that is not to say that you don't love your husband. <laughs> and it's not to say when we get on to the, to the men, you respect your him. But you respect him. I mean, it's absolutely clear. You respect him this morning because he is your husband. The Bible doesn't give us any qualification. It, the Bible doesn't say, well, respect him if he does well. You know, if, he's, if he does well. If he comes up to my standard or my expectations, what I want to see in a, in a man, um, then I'll respect him. Doesn't say that. And I love this, the philosopher Gothe said, if you treat a man as he is, he will stay as he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to be and could be, he will become the bigger and better man. So, ladies, act towards him in the way he is to become, not necessarily where he is at. Respect him because he is and treat him as he will become. Respect him by receiving his leadership. In respecting him, the most significant expression will be to look for him for leadership. You know, you may be able to get better advice from elsewhere, but the place to go to is your husband. One of the, one of the challenging things I've found over the years as a pastor is, is ladies coming to me, married ladies coming to me, at the end of the meeting, say, and asking for counsel, advice, or whatever. And the husband's in the congregation or is at the back. You need to go and ask him. That's the place you go. And if he doesn't know, he then should ask. He can come and ask. Because as you treat him that way, that's the way he'll become. You might get a better answer from somebody who's been married a longer time. Your husband might say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm really not sure. Let's go together. Let's go and find out together. But that's the way it should be. You should treat, he's your leader. Matt and I, or your home group leaders, are not your leaders in that sense. There's a sense of a leadership of the church. But he's your head. You can't have two heads. Two heads is a monster. Yeah? You can't have two heads. Your husband 
is your head. That doesn't mean to say he understands everything. He may not give us good advice or counsel as a much more experienced time. There may be times to talk to others, someone in a specialised area. But the first port of call must be the husband, not a good friend or even the pastor. Don't start with husband's shortcomings. Start with what you're meant to be doing. Criticism has a destroying effect. I have seen the effect upon children where fathers have been disrespected and openly criticised. And although we're talking about the ladies here, that's also true of men who have disrespected and openly criticised their wives. Nancy Wilson, in The Fruit of Her Hand, says, wives, underest wives underestimate the input they have for both good and ill. They do not realise that their lack of respect is tearing their husbands down. The more they disrespect, the more they see to criticise. Soon it seems there is nothing respectable about their husbands at all. There's a world of difference between a man coming home, I'm assuming the wife is at home with the children, if there's children, to a symp sympathetic, encouraging wife than a critical, unhappy self-centred one. Ladies, I know this sounds tough, but it's God's word. Ladies, be grateful for your husband. Don't focus on the blemishes. Look for evidences of grace and be thankful. Thankfulness, not just in marriage, but in every area of life, will drive away discontent and it will allow you to respect and honour and build your husband up. Live grateful to God for your salvation. Live grateful to God for your spouse. Live grateful to God for your children. I was speaking to somebody yesterday um, who, who was not married. And as, as a pastor over a period of time, you can have somebody come in one day and say, I, I desperately need to be married. I want to be married. And then a few days later, you get a married couple come in. Oh, marriage. Oh, it's such a... If only I hadn't have married. And then the next couple come in, oh, we desperately want children. Desperately want... Uh, and, and you minister to them. And the next couple come in who've got children. Oh, man, kids. You see, we can, we can live that way. We can be discontent. But be grateful to God for your spouse, for your, well, for your salvation, your marriage, your spouse, your children. And as you respect and honour your husband, he will be built up and you will be encouraged and most important of all, God will be glorified. God has designed your husband to receive and need respect and he has commanded you to be the main source of that respect. Let the example that Peter speaks of in 1 Peter be your godly example by the grace of God. A woman who is able to trust God is able to respect and submit to the leadership of her husband. So often when counselling people, they don't, they don't trust their husband I'm talking normal situations now. The, the, the issue is they're not trusting God. Because God has established him for that purpose. And so therefore, it's a disrespect and a, a lack of honour and trust in God. C.J. Mahaney says, Giving respect is an obligation, not a favour. It is an act of maturity, birthed in a profound understanding of God's good grace. So now we move on to the men. You might have thought you got away with that there, but God, tough on my wife, yeah? It's tough on you. Verse 33, love your wife 
as you love yourself. Love, and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The type of love that Paul is speaking of here is an agape love. It's to reflect the love Christ had for his church. It was a sacrificial love. It was agape. And it's an active love. It's an active love. It's not about feelings. You might come home and feel, well, don't know when I feel particularly loving. You are to love your wife, sacrificially. And I hate saying that, because I know, I know so often where I don't. And Tim will tell you. I know it to be true, but that's what we're called to do, guys. Sacrificial love. An active love, not about feelings. And it is important that we, between, we distinguish between sacrificial love and a worshipping kind of love. It worries me when I hear people say, I worship the ground he or she walks upon. The worship is for one person alone, God. We don't worship, we only worship God. And it's not for you to worship her. You can't lead someone that you worship. And as we said earlier, your marriage ultimately is not for you, but God. And how you treat your spouse will affect what they become. Paul says the glory of the man is the woman. She reflects God and her behaviour also reflects her husband. So a wife's behaviour reflects something about what's going on in the marriage. Reflects her husband. Men and women prior to marriage can become over-anxious about their intended leadership, their, their intended the leadership, or the outworking of submission when they are married. The reality is that in the context of marriage, if we treat our spouses in the way they are positionally, they, they will become with God's grace. That in reality, and your wife will have no problem in responding to you. When we get married, we have a picture of the perfect spouse. How he should lead, how she should respond. The fact is that when we got married, it was two sinners saying, I do. You might have said, I will, or I do, different services. When you said at the, the front of the church, I do, I will. Two sinners. Even though you're all dolled up to the nines, the wife is looking beautiful with her dress. I don't know, I, I just, uh, why is your wedding dress out in that room? She suddenly bought a wedding dress out there. You expect you not married her. Sorry, it just, just came to you. But you know, but, but it's, it's uh, you know, and the, and the guy's trying to look good in his penguin suit or whatever he's wearing, or, or um, a kilt. Um, and, and they look so perfect on that day. So wonderful, but you married a sinner. And you're a sinner. But Christ accepts us as we are. If we're going to re reflect this relationship between Christ and the church and the church of Christ, does Jesus wait until you've got it all sus before he, he accepts you? Does he say, well, when you've got that sin sorted, and, well, I don't like that. You've got to get that sorted. He accepts us as we are. But, thank God, he also desires that we grow in sanctification and become more like him. 
And so I believe we should take the same position regarding our spouse. That goes for men and women. We accept one another as we are. Dan Allender and Tremper Longman wrote, marriage requires a radical commitment to love our spouses as they are, while longing for them to become what they are not. Every marriage moves either towards enhancing one another's glory or towards degrading each other. By the way we treat each other will affect which direction our marriage will go in. Wherever we are in this room, in our marriages, there's always room for growth. And uh, as I've already uh, said, there's always room for growth in our marriage. If you feel challenged, that's good. It means God is bringing your attention to something that requires change. If you feel condemned, you need to draw upon God's grace. Because there is, as the scriptures say, therefore now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Always, guys, be more aware of God's grace in the lives of our wives. And always be aware of God's grace than our sin. If you finish up at the end of the day, at the end of the week, more focused on sin, then you need to look to the cross. You look to draw on God's grace and remind yourself of who you are in Christ. Men and women are different in so many ways. And it's not by accident, but by design. The difference is there because God has given us different roles. There is a purpose in God's design for us to be different. He created us to be different so that marriage might complement each other. And by doing so, reveal the relationship between Christ and his church. There's a difference, isn't there, between Christ and his bride. There's a difference between a husband and a wife. Same in worth and value, both made in the image of God, but different in role and function. I want to be clear here. When I talk about role and function, I'm not talking about stereotypes. You know, if you're a guy, you do the car. And if you're a woman, you do the washing up or whatever. Or husbands buy a, buy a dishwasher. Uh, but whatever, whatever it is. I'm not talking about those sort of stereotypes that the world talks. I'm talking about the difference the Bible speaks of the roles in positioning ourselves towards each other and the relationship between men and women, particularly in husbands and wives. One is to lead and the other submit. And notice when we read, we read from Ephesians 5, I can put this in my notes, but um, it's your husband, your wife. It's not all men, it's not all women. There's another uh, message in that in itself. But the leadership of the man is a loving, sacrificial leadership, not a boss-subordinate leadership. In fact, I would suggest that although there is authority in that leadership, I think a better expression is responsibility. I feel like for Matt and I, there's a degree of authority, but also we both have a sense of responsibility in our care for you and our pastoring of you. Not like Peter says, don't lord it over the people. And I think it's the same for husbands. There is authority. But you've got more, I would accent more, responsibility. So, in a healthy Christian marriage, both spouses are pursuing the others. One in leadership and the other 
in responding. The difference we see throughout this portion of scripture that concludes with Paul saying love his wife and his exhortation respect your husband. That's the difference. And although Paul puts a different emphasis upon the wives and the husbands, it doesn't mean that husbands don't respect wives or wives not loving their husbands. I believe the difference reflects God's design that is different for men and women. Man may be objective, more objective. Woman may be more subjective. A man would oft, more often would say what he thinks, whereas a woman would often say what she feels. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the complementary aspect. We need both. So often I can see a situation, perhaps quite objective, but June feels something that she brings into that, and that complements. Normally she's right and I'm wrong. That's the way it works. So listen to yourself. Be aware of the role of your spouse. And do not judge one another by what you hear, but pray for them, that they would reflect more of God's design in their lives. Not for your primary benefit, but for God's glory. Be aware of the role of your spouse and do not judge one another by what you hear, but pray for them that they will reflect more of God's design in their lives and not primarily for the benefit of yourself all for God's glory. Marriage is a context where our love for others can be tested, strengthened and developed. Marriage creates a context where love is put to the greatest test. Catherine Ann Parker writes, love must be learned and learned again and again. There is no end to it. Hate needs no instruction, but waits to be provoked. Isn't that true? I don't know if you need to instruct someone to hate. It just needs to be provoked. Love. Love and love in a sacrificial, this kind of love that Paul speaks of in terms of a love that will lay down your desires, your wishes for your wife. Paul speaks in terms of Jesus' love. He's recognising the love Jesus had for the church was demonstrated. It costs something. It's that kind of love that Paul is talking about. 1 Corinthians 13 helps us to see that love is not primarily about something you feel, but it's something that you act upon. Let's read that in the light of today. Read and review that. What, what, does, what does love really mean? It's, it's, it's often a portion of scripture that's used in, in weddings, but on weddings, normally you're kind of talking about the feeling of one another. But that portion of scripture is not about feeling. Guys, if we don't love our wives in this way, it's not their fault, it's ours. There are no further qualifications. If we have a wife, then we are to love her and love her sacrificially. And these are the commands, not me, they're the commands of God's word. And by the way, it's not the command for the wife to say to the husband, you need to, you need to be a better leader. Or the leader telling his wife to submit. God tells you to. I remember once a woman said to me, my husband's not leading very well. I told him to, he's to lead. So I said, oh, you see, you're the authority. You're telling him to lead. You see, we don't. It's God who's saying it. We mustn't use that to, to each other. This world is, is obsessed with looking after number one, standing up for our rights, our position, seeking ways to better ourselves. The, 
Emphasis always seems to center around something that is meeting my need. We have become experts in self-care and lost the art of caring for others. Not in this room, in the world. Scripture is saying they need to, in this, in this love for your wife, it's, it's caring for her soul. The purpose of this sacrificial love is to care for her. Scripture is saying that loving your wife is not primarily to make her happy, but holy. And by the way, in saying make her, you, can't, you can only bring things towards her that God, by his grace, uh, will, will help her to grow in that area. This sacrificial love means to lay down our lives for the spiritual good of our wives. It's not just about doing jobs. I, I suspect in this room we've probably got a mix. We've probably got some guys who are very good at doing jobs for their wives. But maybe not caring for her soul. Maybe not looking at that aspect of your role towards her. Paulish in saying love as Christ loved the churches, in effect, as Christ laid his life down for the spiritual needs of the church, so we likewise lay our lives down for the spiritual care and well-being of our wives. This sacrificial love is foremost spiritual. It is in a loving care for our spouse's souls. Primary act that we have responsibility we have is to care for her soul. Paul earlier says, wash her with the word. Through the word of God, bring God's word to her. That requires, that requires sacrifice. We haven't got time this morning to go into that. See, loving your wife is an expression of loving God. And our marriages are designed to call us out of ourselves and being preoccupied with self and learn to love the different. Guys, you are the pastor to your wife. You're the pastor. You're a, you're a head. So love her by caring for her soul, and by doing so, you will provide, be providing a wonderful demonstration of Christ's love for the church. As we love our wives, respect our husbands, we will see fruit and growth in our marriages, and God will be glorified. Now, as I said a couple of times, there are other things in this portion of scripture, sorry Liz, I should have said. <laughs> um, um, uh, there, there, are, there are other things in this portion of scripture that we want to look at, and particularly with loving your, your wife and respecting your husbands. Practical ways that we can do that. But we couldn't do that all this morning. So in the next Family Matters, Matt and I, we're going we're to go into that, okay, to go more specifically and, and broaden out other truths in this, this portion of scripture. But we wanted to leave you this morning with an overall view of the emphasis of grace, what the meaning of marriage is, and what the primary role that God calls for husband and for wife. And so next time we'll look in much more detail. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've not left us in a place of cluelessness and not sure how we're to be to one another as husband and wife. But Lord, you've given us your word and we're thankful for that. We're grateful, Lord, that you've, you've given us your word to help us in our married lives together.
Lord, thank you for every married couple here this morning and those who plan to be married or those maybe thinking about marriage. Lord, whatever, whatever state we're in, Lord, thank you for everyone here this morning. Lord, may your word grip their hearts, not just inform their minds, but transform. Transform our marriages. Lord, let us just grow one step at a time. One step at a time. Lord, all for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen.